Good morning, church. My name is Stephanie Hill, and my family and I are covenant partners here at FPC. Today, we will be reading three parables about being lost and the God who finds us, beginning in Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that was lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me today, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents more than 90 over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses just one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek it diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided the property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades. For those of you who know that last parable, don't worry, Stephanie didn't cut it short. We're going to get to the next part of that, but we wanted to kind of leave you hanging just for a few minutes as we as we think about all that God is doing in that story. Um, my name is Bob Fuller. It's good to see you all again here today, and I just want to thank everybody. Stephanie, thank you for reading the scripture, and and Russell, thanks, Russ, thanks for being here today. You know, Russ, Russ has given us all permission to to use that wonderful phrase, "Good day, mate." You know, whenever we want to do that, and so I decided to take that a step farther farther today. I'm going to preach the entire sermon in an Australian accent, just to honor <laughs> Russ and Jen. Uh, no, I'm not actually going to do that. Uh, that would be that would be terrible. Um, but uh, but I am glad that they're here, and thank you all so much. They've been with us all week. Let's give them a hand for being here all with us all week. Thank you for that. Uh, let's go ahead and let's take a moment just to pray before we before we turn again to God's word. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for coming before us today through your word. And as we read, as we ponder, and as we try to grasp what you are saying, we ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. 
All right, so we're going to get a little bit nostalgic here, a little bit retro for a second, but I'm not sure. This is one of those things that I think still has some relevance. How many of you all have or have do now or have ever watched the game show called Family Feud? Anyone here? Yeah, yeah, okay. Russ, I see you're raising your hand. You have that in Australia too? Just got TV. Good. That's good. It's man. Amen. Praise the Lord on that. You got you know they've got they've got Family Feud. How many of you all know that the current host Steve Harvey back in the day it was a guy named Richard Dawson. Uh, you all remember that that the way the the way the show works is they'll throw out a question and then they've got a panel that's been surveyed to see how many people gave that same answer. So just as we get into our the scripture lesson and and into the into the sermon today, I just want to ask you a question. I want to ask you, if I lost blank, then I would stop everything to find it. First of all, what are the things that you have ever lost? What are the things that you... Has anybody here ever lost a dog or a cat? Ever had a dog or a cat wander off? Oh my gosh. You know, yesterday I was, I was mowing, I left the gate open, I was terrified that our dog was gonna, was gonna run out the gate. Turns out she's a little bit of a homebody and kind of old and decided she wasn't gonna do that. But when, when we had our daughter home, we had to, we had to protect the door and kind of slide out whenever, whenever we opened the door for fear that that cat would sprint out onto Austin Highway and, and use up several lives. So has anybody here ever lost their keys? Anybody lost their keys? Oh, did you lose your keys today? Did you? Okay, thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Yes. Isn't that the worst feeling in the world? It's like you feel absolutely immobilized when you lose your keys. Now, here's another one. All right, survey says, how many of us have ever lost a child? Yeah, I lost a child in academy sports once. I had to pull the ripcord, had to, had to pull the emergency lever and have them do that, that code Adam thing. You ever had that? Yeah, that's embarrassing. The, you know, you have to tell the manager that you've lost your kid. You're scared that they, you know, that they, they've disappeared. They're no longer with you. They go over and they, you know, and they, they pull the alarm and the alarm is going, bad parent, bad parent, bad parent, bad parent. <laughs> And the uh, and of course the you know then the you know the the whole staff is looking at you like we found your child that you couldn't keep up with, sir. <laughs> the child that apparently means more to us than he does to you. <laughs> but we've you know so anyway, survey says who's lost a who's lost a dog or a cat or some pet? Anybody? All right, how about keys? Everybody's ever lost their keys? Survey says. And finally, who's lost a child? Anybody? Survey says. Well, let me ask that question again. If I lost blank, if I lost blank. I would stop everything to find it. What is that thing that if you lost it, you would stop everything to find it, to recover it? What's that thing? Just shout it out right now. One, two, three. All right, thank you. I agree. That's with me too. All right, now let me ask you, let me, let me turn it around a little bit. So we're talking about things that we've lost. Let me, talk, let me turn it around for a second. Do you remember a time in your life when you or someone you loved was really lost. It's not about something you've lost. It's about when you were really lost. Do you remember a time in your life when you were, say, for example, in the woods or out on the road or in a strange city and you were lost? Maybe it's not lost in the sense of dislocation. Maybe it's lost in the sense of maybe you're emotionally lost. Maybe you are relationally lost, or maybe you just feel 
spiritually lost. You cannot get your bearings. You do not know where you are, much less where you're going. When was the last time you were really lost? Think about that. Have you ever been really lost? And if so, when was that? So our scripture passage begins today with yet another confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders. Jesus was attracting all kinds of people to him. But you know what? He was mostly attracting undesirables. You know, he was, uh, he was attracting what the scripture calls tax collectors and sinners. And once again, he was challenged by the Pharisees, those self-appointed morals police. The hall monitors of Israel have come to him, and they said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, let's take a pause for a second. The designation of sinner meant anyone who broke the commandments of God given in the law of Moses. But it was also a convenient term used by the Pharisees to, get, to categorize the people who did not follow their interpretation of the law of Moses and people who did not meet the Pharisees' standards or just of whom they did not approve. These people, in their opinion, should be shunned. They should be looked down upon. They should be pushed to the side and scorned. To, them, to, the, uh, to the Pharisees, these people were all like tax collectors. They were treacherous. They were dishonest. They were traitors to their own nation, collecting for the Romans and extorting their own people. As far as they were concerned, anybody went under that label of sinner was ungodly, was perverse, was defiled, was corrupt, was condemned in their eyes, and was unworthy as far as they were concerned, unforgivable, and worthy of their contempt. That is all captured in that designation of sinner. So when Jesus heard their accusation... He answered their challenge by telling three little stories, just three little stories. We call them parables. Now, simply described, a parable is a story that teaches a lesson. It can be a moral lesson, it can be a spiritual or a theological lesson, or it can be both. But it's a story that teaches a lesson. And the three stories he told are all about things or people being lost. Now, the first story is about a lost sheep. A shepherd has a hundred sheep, but somehow one gets separated from the flock and is lost. It is vulnerable. It is all alone. It's in danger from predators. It's in danger from, from wolves and everything like that. It's, it, it's exposed to the elements it's in hazardous terrain. It could fall in a canyon or something like that. And this tender-hearted shepherd, even though he has 99 other sheep, knows the danger that this one sheep is in, and he's going to stop everything and do anything to find it. Now, Jesus says this like it's a given. If you've got 100 sheep and one of them wanders off, and you, you leave the 99 and go get the one, right? Yeah, maybe. Depends on how much you think that sheep is worth, right? This tender-hearted shepherd, however, knows that this, day, this sheep is in danger. It's vulnerable. 
And so he's going to go get it. The second story is about a woman, a homemaker who loses a coin. Now, that was a lot of money to her, apparently, enough to make a difference in her life. And even though she had nine other coins, it was valuable to her. And it was valuable to whatever plans she had because she knew what she could do with it and she knew how she could invest it. And the final story is a story that many of us know. It's called the story of the prodigal son, a son who rebels against his father, who takes all that his generous father has given him, who leaves his home and his family to go and indulge himself in riotous living. Now, that's the King James way to say that he took all of his money and he blew it on a bender in Miami over spring break. Okay? So we kind of get the picture. I mean, it was all about Bitcoin and prostitutes and spring break and all of that. All that happened until the economy, it says the economy crashed and left him penniless. And so what happens then? Then the son has no recourse but to crawl home in shame and grovel to his father for a job. But we know, according to the part of the story, the next part of the story, that we know that this son is beloved by his father. This father loves his child more than, his, more than this son will ever understand until he has children of his own. And the implication is that the father, who has never given up on his prodigal son, who has never stopped loving him, before he can even get home, the father sees him and goes out on the road to get him. It's a beautiful story. So a parable is a story that teaches a lesson. So what lessons is, teach, is Jesus teaching us through these parables? I mean, can we all agree that, this, that Jesus is not just talking about sheep? He's talking about people who are lost and who are in danger. Can we agree about that, right? Can we all agree that he's not really just talking about coins, but he's talking about people and how valuable they really are to him? And can we agree, too, that he's not just telling a story about a father who had a rebellious child, but he's telling us a story about, maybe about us, or about people we know? Have you ever said, I have this friend who, right. Can we all agree that he's talking about us, maybe? All of these stories are about people who are lost. So we need to see what Jesus is doing. Through these, uh, through these parables, Jesus reframed. That is, he gave us a new way to look at the issue. He reframed these issues by defining and redefining the word sinner and by resetting the way we see and think about them. So he reframed the word sinners. And here's what he's done. A sinner is not an abomination who is condemned, worthy only of our condemnation and contempt. A sinner 
is a lost child of God worth finding and rescuing. He's taken the word sinner and he's turned it on his head, on its head. And so a sinner is a a lost child of God worth finding and rescuing. You know what? Perhaps perverse, perhaps selfish, perhaps hostile, perhaps violent, perhaps even blasphemous, but also confused, lonely, broken, and hurt. Not just corrupt, but corrupted. And so in this reframing, It's not about who is acceptable and who is unacceptable. It's not about who is righteous and unrighteous. It's about who is found and who's lost. But in these stories, Jesus is also, and most importantly, not only reframing the way we think about sinners, he's also reframing the way we think about God. These stories are not just about the lost. They are also about the finder. Jesus is the finder. And the Lord sent his son to find his lost children. His children who are hurting, who are hostile, who are broken, who are sinful, who are Scared. Our God is not the tyrant who condemns, but the Father who saves. Let me say that again. Our Father is not the tyrant who condemns, but He is the Father who finds and saves. Lots of people know. The familiar Bible verse, John 3.16. You all know that one, don't you? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Everybody knows John 3.16, right? Do you know John 3.17? Ooh. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You see, the mission of the Son of Man is not to condemn the world, but to find God's lost children, to find his lost coins, to find his lost sheep, and make a way for them to come home. Jesus himself draws his own mission into focus when he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Luke 19.10. Jesus is the finder. The Holy Spirit is the finder. God the Father is the finder. And here's the thing. He doesn't look for us reluctantly. He doesn't look for us grudgingly. He doesn't roll his eyes and say, oh, great. They're lost again. Why are y'all laughing over here? He doesn't look for us with an attitude. He looks for us relentlessly. And Jesus tells us 
that he is the God that celebrates when we are found. I want you to look at each story. Go back to your Bible, go home, look on your app, whatever. Look at each story. In the first story, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I don't know about your world, but the ratios are off there in mine. He then says in the next one, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then we didn't even finish reading the the other story earlier. It doesn't end with condemnation. It ends in celebration. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And then what does it say? And they began to, what's that last word? Celebrate. Oh man. It's not enough for Jesus to reframe sinners and to reframe sin. He is reframing God the Father, God the Finder. And he wants us to know that heaven throws a party whenever one of the king's children is recovered. Now, unfortunately, there are a lot of people who hear these stories, many of whom are in this room right now, who are with us right here, who hear these stories and they think, yeah, those are... Those are great stories, but God's not looking for me. God's not looking for me. Maybe you think that you're not vulnerable. I'm not in trouble. I'm not in any danger. I'm not some little lost lamb who can't take care of himself. I don't need all that church stuff. I have everything I need. But you know what? The Lord of the universe knows your heart. He knows your secret pain. He knows the guilt and the fear that haunts you. He knows your shame. But he also knows your weak spots. He knows your Achilles heel. And he knows the day when you are going to crash into something bigger and meaner and stronger and harder than you. The day when you will realize, I'm in trouble. I can't handle this on my own. I can't do this by myself. I need help. I am lost. And you finally cry out in desperation. But that's why he's seeking you out now. Because he doesn't want you to go through that despair. He doesn't want you to go through that disease or that betrayal or that collapse or that fall. He doesn't want you to go through that confusion or that divorce or that relationship struggle or temptation crisis or through that death alone. He doesn't want you isolated from the flock. He doesn't want you to be vulnerable and by yourself. Or maybe you're one of those people who think that you're not valuable enough for God to care about you. Maybe you're not valuable enough 
to matter to God. That whether you succeed or fail, whether you live or die, it doesn't matter because you're just not important. You don't have any influence. You're not smart enough. You're not religious enough. You're not athletic enough or popular enough or rich enough or holy enough for God to care. Maybe that's it because you've been hurt or you've suffered or because people that you love have been let down. Maybe you just think that it's that God doesn't care. But here's the truth. You matter to God. You matter to God. And He has a plan and a purpose for you. He understands you. He gets you. And you are important to Him. He has works prepared from before the beginning of time that He has planned for you to do, that He's designed for you, that no one else can do because the Lord fashioned you to be the perfect person for His mission. And that's why He wants to invest in you and invest you in the something. He has a place for you on His team. Or maybe you just think that you've, you've ruined it with God. That you have ignored him for too long. That your knuckles are too red with violence. Or that your eyes and your mind are too polluted with pornography and lust. That your flesh is too corrupted by perversion. And your past too guilty of selfishness or sin or hate. Maybe you've mocked God or mocked the people who followed him or loved him. Or maybe you've mocked his other children. Maybe you've bullied his sons and daughters or abused yourself with substances. Maybe you just believe that there's no way that God could love someone like you and that, and that he could never forgive you for the things that you have said or done or thought either to others or about him. But here's the truth. He's not only the God who will forgive you, He's not only the God who will forgive you. He is the good, good Father who loves you more than you can ever understand. He has never stopped loving you. And He has been watching for you this whole time, wanting you, waiting for you to come home. As the Apostle Paul says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so in these stories, Jesus is also challenging us, challenging us here today to reframe the way we think about ourselves. Do you really believe that you are beyond hope? Craig Rochelle, who's a pastor in, in Edmond, Oklahoma, tells a great story about this one time when he was, he was actually in a bar trying to witness to this one guy. And he kept telling this guy, you know what, God, you know what brother? God loves you. God can take away your sin. He's, the guy's like, no, no, I've done too much. He can't ever forgive me. He says, no, 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 God really does love you. He says, no, 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 I, I, I've done too much. I can't, God could never forgive me. God would never bring me back into his house. No, no, it's like, no, brother, I'm telling you, God loves you. No, God could never love me. And Craig says it. it's like all of a sudden God put a new thought and he says in, in, into his head. And so he says to the guy, okay, you're right. I was wrong. God doesn't love you. The guy says, what? 
and says, you're right, God doesn't love you. You are too much. You are too far gone. You have, out, you have outrun the grace of the cross. And the guy says, God could love me. No, no, no. No, God could forgive my sin. No, no, I don't think so. But, but the Bible says that if I confess my sins, that he'll forgive me. He says, no, no, no. Says, I don't think he says, yes, God does love me. Jesus does love me. And I trust him with my life. He says, before I knew it, the guy had led himself to Christ. <laughs> but sometimes we just need to reframe the way we think about our God. Jesus had three audiences in mind when he told these stories. The first two are the insiders and the outsiders. The first audience was the outsiders, those sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the lepers, the demons guard, the sick and the paralyzed and the foreigners. He wanted them to know that he knew their danger and their pain and that they matter to him and that they are loved and celebrated by the Father. The second audience, those were the insiders, those Pharisees. Everybody else who felt that they were in a good, safe place. He wanted to give them a new way to see people, see the people that we so casually or contemptuously write off as sinners, as unworthy, as unholy, as unclean. To show them how God sees the people, sees sees those people, not as abominations, but as lost. Listen, here's the truth. You may think that somebody is beyond help, but you don't know what God's doing in that person's life. You don't know what the Lord, what the Holy Spirit is doing in that person's life. How is he planning to redeem the lives so that he can invest them in something great? They're not rejected. They're rescued. Not to be feared, but found. And he wanted to show them a new way to see the Lord. Not as a tyrant who condemns, but the father who finds his lost and precious children. Remember, God is the finder. And the truth is that at one time, you were lost. I was lost. And yet he found us. But there is a third audience for these stories. Today, by the Holy Spirit, you and I, we are Jesus' third audience. At the end of the story of the lost son, Jesus says that the son finally came to his senses and came home to his father, only to find his father coming to get him. You know what that means? It means that this trial, it means that this tribulation, it means this trouble, this crisis you're going through, it's not a test. He loves you, and he wants you to come home. And nothing will separate you from his love if you just turn to him. And my good friend over in Mars Camp has said, you know what? We have the wrong impression of ourselves. We're not just redeemed misfits. We are beloved children of the King. When God said over Jesus Christ, you are my beloved son and with you I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit came down upon him and claimed him. When the Holy Spirit came into our hearts, the same can be said of us. That now when God looks upon us in Jesus Christ, he sees him and he says, you are my beloved child. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. And with you, I am well pleased. You're not a redeemed misfit. You are my precious child and I am coming to find you. 
And if you don't believe that, go all the way back to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 43.1. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. I'm telling you, if you're in this room here today, you are here because God wanted you here. You are here to hear those words. I have called you by name, and you are mine. He wants you to hear this. He wants you to understand that he knows that you're vulnerable. You may not even know it, and you may not know what's coming, but the tender-hearted shepherd cares about you, and he doesn't want you to be alone. He wants you to hear that you are valued. You matter to God. You are important to God. He wants you on his team. You are his number one draft pick. And you are beloved. You are my beloved child. And with you I am well pleased. For I have redeemed you. I've called you by name, and you are mine. God doesn't want to condemn you. He wants to find you. The fact that you are here today is proof of that. You are celebrated. God isn't apathetic. He is enthusiastic about you. So let me say it again. Have you ever been well and truly lost? So much so that you had to be found. Intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, directionally. Jesus is the finder who will stop at nothing to find what is lost. And so beloved, we do not condemn the lost. We celebrate when they are found. What will God stop everything to find? The answer is you and the people that you love. And right now, everyone in this room knows somebody who was lost. And maybe that somebody is you. So I want you to bow your heads. I want you to bow your heads and I want you to think of that person right now. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. Lord, this person that I love, I want you to state his or her name, is lost. They are hurt, lonely, guilty, broken and scared. But you are the finder. I know you love them. Please find them. I know that you can find them and that when you find them, you will bring them back to yourself. In Jesus' name. And now, if you are that person, We're going to pray that same prayer. 
we're going to pray it this way. Lord, I am lost. I am hurt. I'm lonely. I'm guilty. I'm broken. I'm scared. But you are the finder. I know that you love me and that you can find me. And when you find me, bring me to yourself. In Jesus' name. If you prayed either one of those prayers, there are going to be people up here, members of our prayer team who are ready to to pray with you, either for somebody that you are worried about who is lost, or to pray with you to take you by the arm and to tell you that you are found. You're here for a reason. You're not here because you're lost. You're not here because you're in the wrong place. You're not here because you're misdirected or because you're confused. You are here because God wants you here. You are found. Amen.